Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. And now your host, Tim Penny and the Art of War coaches. Hey folks, and welcome to The Art of War. This is the OG Art of War, the father of competitive podcasts in which we talk strategy and tactics with the best players in the game. I'm your host, Steve Joel, and if you look in the dictionary next to the word mediocre, there's a picture of me playing 40K. So here to make sure the show is truly top tier is a man who has won tournaments with Space Marines, Drew Kari, and Sisters, and others. The man Richard Siegler calls the biggest bandwagon jumper in the Art of War house, the top-ranked Sisters player in the ITC, John Lennon, it's the hive mind you really love, though, isn't it? Absolutely. I'm always always loyal to the Emperor at the end of the day. Two <laughs> arms, four arms, doesn't matter to me. Nice. We're going to be talking to someone else who loves playing with different armies in a second. We'll introduce our guest in a moment, but first, here's how the show works. Every week, we talk to a tournament winner or top player about an army that they've had success with at a big event, and we do it in two parts. Part one is the entree. We're going to break down the list, what's in it, how it works, Warlord traits, relics, strats, and how they stack to make the army work. It's a lesson in list building. Then part two is the main course. That's where we look at the matchups. So whatever army you play, you're going to learn a heap in part two when John and our special guest go head to head. Part two is for subscribers only, though. So if you like what you hear in part one, go over to theartofwar40k.com and subscribe for the rest of the show. This week's guest has won everything in the UK. Uh, pretty much, including the London GT, the Northwest Open, and kind of like John, he's done it with a heap of different armies. Most recently, he took out the Goon Hammer Open UK from a field of around 100 players, and he did it with Harlequins. Mike Porter, congratulations. Thank you so much, Steve. That was a lovely introduction. Happy How to be here. That? It's what I specialize in, my friend, introductions. I'll be honest, when I saw Harlequins, I, was, I, I went looking at your list assuming that there would be a Drukhari element, but you decided to combine with Craft World Elder. Kind of madman yeah, makes I, that decision. Haven't you heard that they're bad? I laugh in the face of the meta, Steve. I, I like <laughs> to challenge myself. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's kick this off. Why don't you get started by running us through the list top to bottom? Tell us what's in it and, and why it works. I'd be happy to. Uh, okay. So I, I start off with the Harlequins part of the list, which is the majority of the list. Um, it's a Soaring Spite Battalion. I have a Shadow Seer who's got a Neuro Disruptor. Uh, he's got the Veil of Illusion. Uh, he's got Psychic Powers, Shards of Light, and Twilight Pathways. I have uh, two Troop Masters, the first of which has uh, the Darkness Bite, Pivotal Roll. He's also got the uh, Pivotal Roll that allows him to reroll wounds and Harlequin in six inches. He's got a Fusion Pistol. He's got the Warlord Trait, Sky Strider. He's got a Relic called the Twilight Fang. And then I've got another troop master who has the pivotal role for reroll wounds. He's got a relic called the Domino Shroud. He has a fusion pistol and a Harlequin's Embrace. Then I've got four lots of five troops who've got fusion pistols and embraces on every single model. They are all in Star Weavers. And I've got five Skyweaver jet bikes. They're all equipped with haywire guns. We've got four combat weapons and a Star Bolos on one model. Onto the uh, the custom craft world detachment, which is a uh, heavy support detachment. They've got the uh, the traits for ignore cover and reroll hit and a wound. I've got a Farseer Skyrunner with Doom and Executioner. I've got two lots of three Shining Spears. And the Exarch has got the three plus invulnerable save. 
And then I've got three lots of three Dark Reapers who've got the Exarch Power Crack Shot, which allows them to reroll ones to hit. And that, my friends, is my army. Yeah, nice. Now, with the uh, Warlord traits and the Psychic Powers and the Relics that you've got in there, can you just... Oh, and also Soaring Spite for people who don't play or play against Harlequins very often. Can you just tell us what each of those things does and what it is and maybe how they stack together and work together? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so starting with the Harlequins, um, I've got a Troopmaster who's got a Warlord trait, which is called Sky Strider, um, which kind of does what it, it sounds like it does, really. Uh, it allows him, when he's in a Harlequin uh, boat, um, the boat can move. He can then get out of that boat advance and charge when he does so um so it gives him a huge threat range yeah. he's also got a relic which is called the twilight fang which gives him plus two to his strength neg three ap and gives him a damage two and also he gets a bonus number of attacks depending on whichever turn number it is so turn one he gets one extra attack turn five he gets five extra attacks um i've got a troop master with the domino shroud which at the end of any phase, both my own and my opponent's, allows him to make a 12 inches move, which can be up to 13 inches uh, because of the wording of the relic. And uh, that's pretty much it for the uh, the Harlequins. Then I've got for the Custom Craft World, they've got the um, ignore cover and reroll a hit in the wound. So it's essentially whenever they shoot, you don't get the benefits of cover. And they also get essentially master artisans or old master artisans that used to be. So every time they attack, be it in the shooting phase or the combat phase, they get to reroll one hit and reroll one wound. So it makes them really reliable uh, in in two different phases of the game. And the soaring spite, serpent's blood. What does that give you, and what does that mean? So soaring spite for harlequins. Uh, it allows the um, the infantry models, whilst they're on board uh, one of the transports, so the star weavers. When that transport advances, that they can shoot their pistols as normal. And it also lets the bikes, when they advance, they can shoot without the, the minus one penalty. Great. Okay. So you can move real fast and still do your shooting. And then you've got characters that can get out and advance and move real fast as well. Yeah. That, that's the, the, the sort of theme of the list, or certainly the Harlequin section of it, is that it moves incredibly fast and it picks fights wherever it wants to. Right. Um, and when it, instead of trading for a unit for a unit, it can go in, hit something, run away uh, before it gets hit back, which um, the, the traits or the, the stratagems that uh, the Harlequins can access uh, allows them to do that. Great stuff. Now, the last thing, I guess, is to talk us through the psychic powers you've chosen and why you've gone for those ones. Smites. Smites, 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 more wounds, <laughs> as many as possible. So I've got a Shadow Seer who's essentially got two effectively smite powers. Um, one of them is the additional benefit to, to reduce the enemy's leadership by one, which actually helps with one of his, his shooting weapons, which can cause additional mortal wounds um, when it rolls against the leadership of whatever he's shooting. He's also got a move twice power, which I can honestly say I've never used in any of my games, but the, the, the ability to actually do it um, tends to put people off and tends to affect people and um, affects what they want to do with their models and how they want to play the game. So it's it's a really good threatening power, um, but I've, I've honestly I've never used it in over thirty games yet. Um, and then the Skyrunner as well in the Craftworld attachment, he's got Doom and he's got Executioner. So as well as Smite, he's got the two um, Smite powers. Executioner can cause an additional D three mortal wounds, 
And then Doom allows him to pick a unit and go, right, we're going to reroll wounds against that unit, which makes, again, it's already a very, very efficient detachment, but that power just makes him even sort of notches them up a level. Man, what are, what is the threat range on those troop masters? Um, so the the basic basic troop master, um, you can only get out eleven, and then you can advance and charge. But the the troop master with the sky strider war, war trait, the boat can move sixteen. Uh, then he can get out eleven, advance up to six inches, and then he can charge after that. And obviously with the the psychic power, he, the boat he's in can move twice, so that's thirty two inches plus eleven for the disembark and move plus six inches advance plus charge. So we, you know, when it, it's hilarious whenever somebody says to you, "Okay, what, what what's the threat range of this guy?" You're like, "Okay, I'll get my tape measure out and I'll I'll measure <laughs> sixty inches and I'm going to cover the whole board." Okay, well, that's where he goes. Um, so yeah, he's he's basically wherever he is on the board, he can go wherever else he wants to go. Right. Wow, that's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's lovely. I've been on the receiving end of that guy. He is absolutely brutal and uh, he's quite hard handing as well. You know, with between darkness's bite. Uh, I think there's a couple, you know, offensive stratagems you can put as well. Uh, there is just so, so much you can do to make that troop master blend whatever he touches. Yeah, he he can he can fight. He can get up to twenty four attacks in a single phase, where he's hitting on twos. Um, he's strength five, and he rerolls wounds automatically. He can go up to damage three, and then he causes four more wounds at the end of it. So this guy can reliably go into anything in the game. And, and just kill it and he's 70 points yeah, no no thank you no thank you <laughs> um right on i think the only thing he doesn't kill is like black templar redemptor dreadnoughts i think that's the one thing that's been able to survive him okay well I'll, I'll, that's that sounds like a challenge or anything with the fly keyword um and there's horrible admec flyers sorry he doesn't he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't touch them <laughs> fair enough fair enough all right so um i guess uh my my first question is going to be what does this army kind of look like on the tabletop? So obviously your plan is going to change, you know, based on opponent. And we'll talk a lot about the matchups in part two. But what's plan A? Like you, you've got your army. Um, it's got a lot of tricks in it. It's Eldar. We know it's going to be tricky. Uh, but no Drukhari. What is a uh, what does the army look like on the table? Are you trying to run people over and table them? Are you trying to you know spread out to the corners? You know, shell them with the indirect. What what does it look like? Well. Hopefully it doesn't look like anything because as soon as anybody even looks at anything in the list, uh, it tends to fall over and die. So it it, it kind of stays invisible um, as long as possible. It hides behind terrain, um, and it's it's built around um, two secondaries in particular, uh, which is to the last, which is my shadow seer, my far seer, and my big squad of um, haywire bikes. So they'll tend to spend the entire game hiding, or in the bikes case moving out, shooting, charging something, and then jumping back into cover. And then it plays um, normally uh, the whole three stranglehold, um, where, which is where the, the Shining Spears come into it. So for the first two turns of the game, you know, you'll, you'll see a, a unit of Shining Spears will pop out and kill something on an objective, uh, hold that objective whilst uh, hold two backfield ones. Um, and it will score sort of secondaries and primaries at a consistent level for two turns. And then for, for the rest of the game, sort of turns three, four, and five, depending on how the game's going, if it's looking good, um, I'll, I'll just carry on and I'll aim to score about 90 points, just playing the mission, not committing anywhere. Or if it's not going so well, um, if I've lost one of them to the last, for example, or 
the primary's not going well, then it can push out. Then the boats come out, the sky weavers come out, and kind of turn three and four. Um, that you know everything's out there, um, killing as much stuff, uh, being on objectives. So when the boats do die, the troops come out, hold the objectives to enable me to score primary. And um, so yeah, so in answer to your question, it just it, it hides for as long as possible and plays the mission, looks at scores. You know, you have to look at your primary and secondary scores really closely, see how the game's going, and then sort of play the game um, depending on how those scores are going. Right on, right on. Yeah, so to the last, you know, I you, you mentioned something there. Obviously, you've got two characters. I know both of those guys are psychic powerhouses, so if anyone gets too close, you know, pokes the bee nest, they're going to take a heap of mortal wounds, and those guys are going to fly away. Um, you mentioned the Skyweaver bike as your third one and that it's good at going in and then getting out. What are some of the tricks that uh, that you have access to that made you really like this uh, this Skyweaver unit? Yeah, so um, so as part of the sawing spike, they can move 22 inches, which is a, an auto six inch advance on top of the normal movement, and they can fire normally. So in an ideal game, they will they will pop out from behind cover. They will move up to 22 inches. They'll then be able to shoot. Uh, normally a vehicle, although the, the guns that they have have got the blast keyword, so they can go into to hordes quite nicely as well. Um, they'll go in, they'll shoot something, and then they'll normally set up a charge for, you know, a, a cheap objective holding unit, you know, witches, you know, racks, um, anything basically up to two runes. That's that's your basic troop unit for most, most lists that you see. And then they'll charge that unit, um, and on the charge they'll get... Uh, They'll get 15 attacks that hit on threes. They're strength four. There's normally a troop master nearby, so they'll be rerolling to wound. And they are minus two and they are damage two, potentially up to damage three, which is really important with certain matchups. So they'll go in, they'll normally kill um, you know, a, a small unit that's holding an objective. And then they have a delightful stratagem, um, which cost me two CP. So as soon as they have fought, so before anybody gets to fight them back, they then get to make a normal move, which for them is up to 16 inches. So if you look at the vast majority of missions where the middle objectives tend to be, they're normally um, sort of within 10 to 15 inches of um, your, your terrain and your deployment zone. So they'll jump out from behind that, shoot something, fight something in combat, and then they'll jump back behind that with the stratagem. So they've effectively come out, potentially killed two things, and then they've gone back where they can't they can't be touched. All right, brutal. You know, most to the last units I kind of think of as hiding behind a wall, never really interfering or just trying to be, you know, something you don't want to deal with. But I, I love that you've got your to the last and you're willing to use it, go aggressive with it. Um, how many command points do you start with, by the way? Um, so I start with seven. Um, so over the course of the game, I'll have, I'll have 12 CP. So I tend to use that particular strat that I've, I've talked about quite often, not for the first couple of turns, but almost always for turns three, four, and five, they'll be using that. And um, so it, it doesn't leave me with a massive amount of CP. It's normally enough CP to make a big play with a particular unit. Um, but, you know, we can talk about the strats that you can use there. Um, but yeah, so there's enough for them to do what they want to do and then to go in and deal a huge amount of damage to something that's really, really important that, that has to die. Mike, you, you talked about To the Last and Stranglehold. Is there a third one that you normally have as your fallback, or do you always just look at the other army and pick a, a killing 
secondary or are you looking at the mission? Do you have a third one you like the look of? Yeah, so I, I tend to I tend to aim for, for 90 points um, in, in a game. Um, one thing the list does really, really well is it scores very highly. One thing it doesn't do very well um, when it wants to play defensively is it doesn't stop the other, you know, the opponent from, from scoring. So I do tend to have quite high scoring games. So my third, my third um, secondary tends to be, if it's an easy one, uh, depends on the opponent, obviously that, the mission one. If not, I'll, I'll take something like banners, if it's a Dawn of War deployment, or if it's one of the table quarters um, or diagonals, then I'll go uh, rod, um, which isn't ideal because it means you know, there's a troop or a squad of Dark Reapers who've got to spend the turn doing nothing. But most of the time, like I mentioned before, I spend two or three turns doing nothing. So the troops can get out, do a bit of rod, and then get back in ready to, to, to do what they need to do. It's interesting, Stranglehold being in the same category as uh, Engage on All Fronts. I look at your list and I think, well, this is, you get on get, Engage on All Fronts whenever you want. You'd be able to just dart around the table and do whatever you like. But is taking to the last mean that you don't want to take Engage on All Fronts? Yeah, so when, I've played I've played a lot of games with this list now. Um, and it, It's been a real steep learning curve playing with it. You know, I've, I've lost some games massively um, and learned the hard way, like I said. Because when you take um, quarters, you're kind of forcing, you, you, you're saying, right, I've got to be in a particular area. And you don't always want to be, especially with this. I, I want to stay in my deployment zone. I want to stay in a small part of the board, hide behind terrain. I want to do nothing um, for as long as possible. And whereas if I have to then come out and commit units um, for more than two turns, then it, it gets a little bit messy and, and you can start to lose a little bit too much. And then by turn four or five, you've not got enough left to, to do what you need to do to control the score. Yeah, fair enough. All right. So I love, man, I honestly, I love everything about this, if I'm, if I'm being real with you. Um, my, I guess, you know, my next question. Uh, it, so it's kind of about the damage output. So one of the things that I found with Harlequins is that I always get a little bit worried about people who just like kind of just rush me. They're just like, you know what? I don't care about your tricks. I don't care about everything else. I want to put my whole army in and see if you can deal with it. Is that ever a problem for you? Or, I mean, it, it kind of takes a certain type of player to do that. Um, do you ever worry about that kind of scenario? Yeah, so we've, we've played um, a big team tournament recently um, where, you, you know, I, I always, I'm always amazed at how much you learn from playing in team events because you, you really start to go into certain matchups and, and the real nuances of each of each of those matchups as well. Um, and the two lists I was worried about were um, a Raven Guard Space Marine list uh, and a, a Dark Eldar list that just went, um, you know, here we go, is is six uh, six raiders in your face, all with witches and incubi, right? Can you deal with them? Um, and when I played a few test games with them, and because of the fact that they can cause damage in three phases and a lot of damage in three phases. There's not a lot that can survive against them. Um, you know, if you're coming at me with with boats, then with the, the psychic powers, the fusion pistols, and the haywire, I can easily destroy your transports, then charge and kill what's inside. If you want to charge in with, with space marines, you know, two wounds are my absolute, you know, sweet spot. I, I love two wound space marine models at that charge in. The, the list goes through them really, really easily. Um, so when that happens, whenever I've tested it. Um, 
the, the damage output of the list when it actually really wants to it can do a huge amount it's just it needs to fight on its own terms if something can get into it and do the damage before it fights back that's when you can have a little bit of a problem it's interesting you've gone for a lot of uh you know when we were talking about it, i know there are a couple of buffing psychic powers in there you've you mentioned though you've gone for a lot of damage dealing psychic powers you just want to smite smite get wounds off uh, other folks we've talked to in the past have have talked about the importance of just having those buffing powers and buffing your whole army uh, is that a trade-off for you how do you see the psychic powers working well for you as opposed to i know doom is amazing but uh maybe the other powers that you could have taken instead yeah so each each of the the psychers has got a buffing power and they've got two uh, mortal wound powers as well so i mentioned before the the shadow seer with the shards of light you know quite often when you when you're playing against somebody they'll ask you questions about you know how what's the threat range of this unit um you know how far away do i need to be to make sure i'm not getting charged all those kind of things so as soon as you mention you know my shadow seer's got shards of light um then you, you you double your measurements and and you show them you know this is how far my bikes can move this is how far a boat can move my, fang master and things so the the threat of that buff power is is enough for me um like i said i mentioned i've never used it um but the, the fact that it's there just puts people off um and then the trade there i mean it, it can do an extra minus one to hit well pretty much everything in my army the harlequin side of it is minus one to hit anyway when it's on a boat so that doesn't do a massive uh, massive amount so the Shadow Sea is not a, not a huge trade-off at all. You know, he's, he's worked brilliantly. And then the Sky Runner, I was taking Guide for a little while, um, but because the, the the way I've kitted out my, my Exarchs and my Dark Reapers, anyway, they don't they don't need Guide. So the, the Doom was nice, especially against um, certain matchups um, where, you know, if there's a lot of Toughness 4 floating about, being able to re-roll Strength 4 against Toughness 4 um, makes a big difference. But... Even when I, you know, I was using some of the other buff powers from the Skyrunner, the fact that you had the threat of those mortal wounds and anything that did come close, um, you know, they've got they've got that extra damage um, to sort of put people off or to kill those extra couple of models or, or transports or whatever. And like like I mentioned before as well, you know, I want to play defensively, and the the way that the game tends to go is that the scores are quite close, and and you'll kind of predict how the game's going to go, and you'll see. Okay, I'm, if I do this, I'm going to win by five points. And eventually it gets to the point where the vast majority of people I play against, they end up having to push. And as soon as they push out, you've then got those those psychics to come out and deal that extra bit of damage that can can often just tip the balance with that third phase of damage. You know, not many people play Necrons now, but I've played a few games now with um, with lots of Catans and you think, oh gosh, if a Catan's right in front of you and you can only do damage in two phases, you're in a bit of trouble. All of a sudden, the psych is just, they just tip that little matchup in your favour as well. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. And when, you, when you're starting the game, and I know we talked about what the army looks like and you're hiding everything, uh, are there situations where you look at starting anything off the table or, or is everything in there? I guess it depends a bit on the terrain and the opponent as well. Yeah, I mean that, that that's going into specific matchups, I suppose, isn't it? Um, but I, I haven't I haven't done yet other than one particular one particular um, list that that's quite prevalent at the moment. Um, that's when you know the option of of keeping a squad off um, can can be helpful. And also when I thought 
I really need to score 12 on my rod, then I'll sometimes reserve uh, a single troop just to come on turn uh, and turn three and just try and get those those crucial few points um, and use my Dark Reapers to absolutely hammer one particular quarter that I'm going to struggle to get in and to, to make sure that I create a little space for them to, to deep strike into. Are Dark Reapers still what they use? Because they're, they're even saying the name Dark Reapers, just from past experience, it still strikes a little bit of fear. You don't see them so much uh, anymore, but they, are they still what they once were, do you think? They're not, they're not quite like they were in the good old Yanari days where you basically looked at something, it just evaporated, and then they looked at something else and it evaporated um, with the whole the whole Yanari Chinari, uh, shenanigans. But, but all the, the, they're effectively, um, I put them in the list because they're, they're brilliant indirect um, shooters, which, you know, any kind of indirect in the game now is, is just massive, um, especially because terrain's getting so much better. So that that ability to to hide somewhere and keep peppering things on opponents' home objectives, or if I need to clear something off um, one one objective that I can't quite get to to get the stranglehold, the the reach of the Dark Reapers um, is brilliant. But it's funny as as I use them more and more, the other two guys who used to, you know, it was almost like they were little fanboys of the Exarch, you know, just sort of cheering him on. Great shooting, lads, you know. Um, the, the more I use them, the more I realise, actually, the two different profiles of their guns um, can, can be quite quite useful as well. Um, so, yeah, they're not they're not what they were back in the day, but they certainly do a, a brilliant job for, for our, what I want them to do. That indirect works both ways too, though, right? As you say, terrain's getting better. So having something that can shoot indirect means you can just hide it, sit on an objective behind terrain and not really feel threatened as long as you're screening well. And they can just keep on going. They can just be doing two jobs yeah. for you, holding objective and shooting stuff off, off other objectives. I mean, it is, it is the theme of my list, Steve. It's, it's the ability to just hit something and not be hit back. Uh, right. The Dark Reaper is the most, the most obvious sort of uh, unit for that because they literally sit behind the wall and, and pepper something um, from out of line of sight. But, you know, with some of the other... Uh, stratagems um i've mentioned the, the skyweaver one where they go hit something and fall back i've got another stratagem um which is unique to saw and spite so as soon as an infantry unit fights something then before they get hit back they then get to make a six inch consolidation move towards the nearest transport and if they end within three inches of that transport they get to get back on board so throughout the list as you can see um the more I talk about it, hopefully you realise it. It goes, it hits something, and then it runs away before it gets hit back. It's it's the most cowardly list in existence. <laughs> it would be. <laughs> and again, we don't want to get into specific matchups. And uh, I know John's got some questions, but just while I think of it, there are several armies in the game now that have a fight's last mechanism. Things that can make you fight last. Does that affect your strategy with things like the Skyweavers? If you're going to charge in, and then they make you fight last then does your ability to get out of the way still work? Yeah. No, it doesn't. Um, no, because, well, they, they'll get to fight first. Um, and and Skyweavers, even though they're, you know, three wounds, they can have a three-plus invulnerable save if they want to, um, they, they still die quite quite easily. They're not they're not the most durable units. There's nothing is that, that is in my army, actually. Um, so, yeah, if there is a fight last relic, I will always make sure I make a, uh, a point of that, I've even gone to the extent of um, I've got a small little rubber duck that, that 
comes around with me as well. And I'll often put that on the table wherever that fight last relic is, uh, and I'll make sure that I, I, I don't I don't get into a fight with that thing. Right. Um, stay away from it. And then you've got things like Incubi, which you know they obviously roll roll against your leadership to do that. It, it's a gamble. Um, it's a calculated gamble. If the game's going my way, I won't I won't gamble it. Or if it's a really crucial thing, I'll, I'll try it out and um, hope for the best possibly. But but yeah, if there is a definite fight last relic, stay well away from it. Got it. Fair enough. All right. Well, I mean, I feel like one of the strengths of Harlequins just has to be that ability to choose where the battle happens. Um, I've dabbled in Harlequins in the past, but uh, I don't think I've come near near to mastering it as you have. But uh, I always loved that Harlequins were pretty much always choosing where the fight was happening. If I was losing resources because I was choosing wrong. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I know you're a, you're a keen sisters player, aren't you, John? Um, I've had I've had quite a few games against uh, another sisters player over here in the UK, and I learned the hard way that you know if 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 you get to choose the fight against anything as a Harlequins player, you'll, you'll tend to win the game. But if they do, you, you'll you'll definitely lose. They're, they're the most unforgiving army, um, certainly I've ever played. Um, so yeah, you do. You have to pick your fights, and you have to you almost have to bully somebody and then run away before they can hit you back. <laughs> I love that you're leaning into it, and we've spoke, we've had guests on say similar things in the past. That and as a as a Space Marines player, as a Space Wolf player, one of the things I'm constantly battling with is trying to find enough durability uh, as well as rushing out there and punching things but you're really leaning into what you do well which is a theme we hear uh often you haven't even worried about durability because it just doesn't exist but you have used other ways your speed to be able to hide and your speed to be able to get in and get out so it's leaning into what the army really really does well right yeah that's right there's there's one thing in my list that's really tailored towards durability and that's my shadow seer's got an ability where anything that's harlequins within six inches of him you have to reduce the range of your weapons by six inches, um, which is hilarious in a mirror match because fusion pistols have got a six-inch range and they can't shoot you, <laughs> which is always always fun when it crops up. But it, it can, you know, it can just affect things like uh, rapid-fire weapons or melter range in particular. So it, it does come in useful, but it is the only thing in the list that um, that could be considered a defensive buff. Nice. Well, you other than being Harlequins, of course, I've I've seen both sides of those four pinballs. <laughs> yeah, when it works, man, it's great, isn't it? But trust <laughs> me, my my dice, my dice, it in one to three, that they come up more often than they should do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like Harlequins either you know tank a knight to the face or die to last guns, and there's no in between. <laughs> yeah, I've literally in the same game, I played a list against them um, against the knight with they had a rhino running around with with some. Um, couple of little chaff space marine units and they've i've had three boats go in kill a knight and then the same three boats have gone in and failed to kill the rhino which just sums up fusion pistols for you you know you talk about fusion pistols being unreliable um i quite frankly i I think that's a common theme with harlequin shooting i know the elder is a little more consistent but uh the harlequin shooting i've always felt was very unreliable uh so it kind of forces you to at least in my experience it forces me to play around it how do you play around the the reliability factor of the shooting? Like, how do you plan around that? And um, so, first of all, I've got I've got four squads of troops, and they've all got fusion pistols, and I've got two troop masters, and they've both got fusion pistols. So I've got twenty two fusion pistols. Now, originally, my list had um, I think two or three fusion pistols in each squad, just to free up some points to to get some other things. And I soon learned. You know, if if you're going to if you're going to need to kill something, if you need to kill a transport, 
because you have to kill what's inside in the combat phase or with other shooting. You have to get as many fusion pistols as possible. Um, and you, you can do the maths and you, you kind of you need to leave an awful lot of um, redundancy in there, um, and which is why there's so many. And whereas, you know, you, you think I'm going to throw a boat in and kill something, you, you need to throw in two boats, which should statistically kill something. So in answer to your question, the, I don't rely on the fusion pistols to do anything. Um, I tend to say if anything that the fusion pistols does is a bonus, but if the fusion pistols ever really need to do something, I'll throw double what actually needs to be done to kill it um, to, in, in order to get the job done. Because otherwise, you know, like I said, I've, I've had three boats go in and not kill a rhino. It, it's really, really tough. It is. It's threes to it. It's normally threes to it and fours to it, most of the things you really want to kill. And when you're rolling dice like that in small numbers, you, you can't really rely on it. Right on. I think that's the right approach, though. But the way your list is built, that it really feels like that that's an okay approach. Again, you know, you've done so much work on the scoring front that, you know, that that's really not, you know, killing people with fusion pistols is nice, right? It's, it's a bonus side mission helps make your life easier. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I highly doubt that you ever tie your points into those fusion pistols and you need the fusion pistols to go off to get your score. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and often the, the threat of, of 22 fusion pistols can put people off. And again, it just keeps people back, which allows me to play the game I want to play. Um, you know, so that if, if they are using knights, for example, they won't get them. You know, they'll keep asking me, OK, where's where's the magical 25 inch range, which is the 22 inch move and the three inch um, 2d6 pit the highest with the fusion pistol. They'll keep asking me that and stay out of that range, which can push them back a little bit further, which allows me to just play the game I want. So, again, the threat of fusion pistols is, is often better than their actual performance in the game it's funny john john has talked about this in the past with melter guns and it's exactly the same thing you think of fusion pistols based on your experience of them and when they don't work i guarantee you anyone else turning up to the table to face them is thinking about that time that a couple of fusion pistols blew up the most important unit they have so when i'm looking across the table and seeing all of that fusion i'm terrified of it but you you know the averages, you know what they can do. But in my mind, it's that one time that it wiped out all the good stuff in Miami. So you've got to be respectful of it at least. I see. Yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's an Agmet player with a Stratoraptor who's lost one to two troop masters who've rolled really really hard, and he's sort of constantly sweating whenever he sees a fusion pistol in somebody's list. Yeah. And then there's the guy with the Rhino where I fired fifteen of them and didn't kill the thing. So yeah, <laughs> absolutely right. Uh, so. Tell us about the um, strats that you like. You've got seven CP. We know that there's one for two CP that you're going to use for at least three turns in the game. That's really powerful um, and gives you that ability to just hop in and hop out, as you've described. Are there other strats that you like that you use a lot? Um, I know that there are a couple that can that can trip charging armies up, for example. Yeah, so uh, we've mentioned the sort of the, the sort of charge, fight, and fallback uh, ones that I've got. Um, there's there's a, a really nice um, heroic intervention uh, of six inches, um, which is, has got a nice little jank um, when you combine it with one of my troop masters. One of my troop masters has got a relic called a domino shroud, um, which at the end of any phase, both mine or my opponents, he can make a 12 or 13 inch move. Um, and obviously, you know, that can be done to maybe at the end of my, um, I don't know, at the end of the opponent's uh, morale phase. So that and then move 12 inches 
and get on an objective to help me with my primary in the following command phase. But what it's, it's really good at um, and actually won me the last game in the Goonhammer Open um, was, was a hid, um, a little troop master in, in a building um, within 12 inches of two different objectives or well within 18 inches of, of two different objectives. And then after um, my opponent had charged, there was a lone incubi, which he thought was was on an objective and couldn't be touched. I then moved 12 inches using the um, the domino shroud and then activated the strap for a heroic intervention of six inches to get into combat with him, um, which which let me kill him, take the objective, score 15 in my primary the next turn, which was a glorious moment. Um, so that's a really, really nice one. A heroic intervention of six is, is brilliant. I've got an auto advance six inches as well. So again, when people uh, ask about the Sky Strider threat range, rather than saying I've got to roll in advance, I can say, well, I can, I can automatically do um, six inch advance as well. Um, so again, it just sort of pushes people back. I've got three different straps that allow me to redeploy units. Uh, I've got one for my, my Craft Worlds. I've got two for my Harlequins, which allow me to redeploy up to four units. So again, even when I'm setting up for the game, you know, you, you're constantly saying, well, I can redeploy things. You know, these guys can move here and get firing angles or charge ranges of, of pretty much the board. Um, I've got a fire and fade. I've got two different fire and fade strats, uh, one for the Harlequins, one for the um, the Eldar. So again, that can help when um, my Skyweavers don't have a target to charge. They can pop out, shoot, and pop back into where they want to be and stay safe. Uh, the shiny Spears, again, they can move up to 22 inches, shoot, move another seven inches to get an objective or to wrap something to force admech ponies so they can't do the fallback strat if they need to charge him something else. Um, I've got a strat where one of my characters, if he's been wounded in a phase, he gets plus two strength and plus two to his attacks, which very rarely comes up. But when it does, for that Fangmaster, um, you know, it just bumps him up to another level. So he's strength seven, he can get up to 12 attacks fight twice, get up to 24 attacks. Um, ooh, and then one that I've used an awful lot um, when I'm, I'm coming up against, uh, you know, certain lists that I've got a lot of two-wound or three-wound models. I've got a strat for my Harlequins that lets one unit, as soon as the first unit that I um, choose to fight in the fight phase, they can go plus one damage. So it takes my basic troops up to damage two. My sky weavers and one of my troop masters up to damage three, which is a great little tipping point for um, for a lot of units that you come up against. Um, and I've also got two different strats for the Harlequins that can give units um, a three plus invulnerable save as well. One is really easy to use; they just have to advance. Then you give them a three plus invulnerable save. But there's another one, whereas if they've lost um, a model in a phase, at the end of that phase, they then get a three plus invulnerable save uh, until the end um, until the end of the next turn. So you know, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious I've just gone through a lot very, very quickly there, but uh, there's an awful lot of strats, there's an awful lot of tricks to, to let the army just adapt and do things uh, that people might not expect. Yeah, it sounds like actually, uh, in a funny sort of a way, there's almost too much there. You you have to kind of be careful how you budget. You you start with seven, you've got 12 over the game, you're spending six at least on the get in, get out. So you kind of have to budget the rest a little bit carefully, right? Yeah, so I, I tend to, I tend to keep five and always keep five for turns four or five for a big play. Um, and by a big play, um, those five CP can let me fight twice with one of my Harlequin units and go an extra damage. Or 
those five CP can let me uh, go an extra damage and fight when I die as well. Um, so my troop master can go in, do massive damage to a unit that's um, on an objective. You know, I've, I've used him against 10 Scarab Occult Terminators, taking up to damage three. He's gone in, he's killed five, and then they fought back and killed him, and he's fought again and killed the other five. And the opponent's like, wow, you've just killed a 450-point unit with 70 points worth of models. What's, what's going on there? So it's just you have to be really, really careful with your, your CPs. You have to think, right, my Skyweavers are really important because they're to the last. So I'm going to keep these to make sure they can do what they need to do in the game. But then I also want to keep roughly half my remaining CPs to go and make a big play if I need to. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I really feel like with Harlequins, you you have that ability to spend it all at once. Uh, honestly, Harlequins kind of remind me of Tyranids in that fact, where they've got more strats than they could ever use in a game. And you really have to master them and practice them to learn how to use them best and when to use them best. Because uh, it's very tempting to, uh, and something I, I talk about with Tyranids is, it's very tempting to go hard early because you have so much you can do when you've got all the CP in the world. But uh, slowing down the pace of the game so that you can use it at the moment it matters and you can run out of CP as the game ends is really important because I always hate running out of CP on turn three or four and having to grind out a turn with none of my tricks. Yeah, like you're saying, it, it is so tempting. You've, there's so much that you can potentially do. Um, it's just, and again, that's that's come, that's come. I've learned that the hard way. You know, I've I've had many a game where I've, um, you know, by turn three, I've, I'm spent out. I'm getting one CP, which you can't really do a lot with, and, and I'm in a little bit of trouble. But you, you do learn that you need to keep certain things, certain CPs for certain things, and no matter how tempting it might be to go in and kill something, if you don't absolutely have to do it have to resist mike when we look at the list are there units that uh and i know it's really finely tuned at this point you've played a lot of games with it but are there units that you would look to drop in favor of something else the changes that you're considering making yeah so when when a lot of people look at the list and um, the first thing they look at or the, the two things they tend to look at are the um the shining spears uh, and the big unit of, of sky weavers um there's a lot of points in the sky weavers but I don't think people fully realise exactly what the, the shiny spears tend to do. Um, I've certainly been tempted to to drop them for uh, a unit of water spiders, which I understand can go and score some of the secondary missions quite nicely. But um, the shiny spears themselves do a really important role in the first two or three turns of, of the game because they enable me to be able to push out with the unit and kill potentially two different squads um, in the shooting phase and the fight phase because each each of those squads of three has got um, can move up to twenty two inches. Uh, it can then shoot um, can shoot twelve shots um, that are essentially rending bolt pistol shots, and it can also shoot three large sort of strength six minus four damage two shots as well. Uh, bearing in mind each of the, the craft world units has got a real hit in the wound as well. It makes them really uh, reliable and they can go out, they can shoot something. And if they only move 16 inches as opposed to 22, they can do the shooting and then they can then charge into a unit. And when they charge, they've got strength seven, uh, neg four, strength, sorry, strength six, neg four, damage two uh, combat weapons as well with a real hit in the wound. So they can reliably go in, kill a squad of. Um, you know, a little cheap unit on holding an objective, charge and kill another unit uh, or tie a unit up. 
Um, so they've got a lot of damage output, and then the Exarch's also got a three plus invulnerable save against shooting attacks, and the, the other two bikes in each squad got four plus invulnerable save. So they're surprisingly difficult to shoot off, and so people tend to want to charge them because as soon as you tell them they don't have, they basically don't have a save in combat. They've got three up armor save, but no invulnerable save in combat. They want to charge them and kill them, which again then plays nicely into. Um, the Skyweavers, who can then go and charge that unit, who've um, ended up on a mid-table mid objective, charge them, kill them, and then jump back behind terrain, which again, it's just jumping back into what, what I want to happen in the game. So the Shiny Spears, I, I, they've been MVPs in quite a few games. The, the, I absolutely love them. The way I like to use them um, in little squads, just to, to go and kill the little squads and be a bit of a nuisance. Score my stranglehold early game. Um, I absolutely love them, but they, they are two squads, maybe drop one and take a unit of warp spiders. But that, you know, I've, I've kind of ended up in this list after learning the hard way. So I'm pretty much sold on it for me. My play style is it's pretty perfect. And that's the thing, you know your play style. Also, you know what secondaries you're looking to achieve with that list. And people people looking at it from the outside don't have that information you know so they're looking they might be looking at it just from a pure shooting efficiency point of view or whatever whatever their uh criteria are uh, or a pure you know objective holding point of view durability point of view you've gone in and gone this is what i want to achieve and this is how i know i can play and so you've put the units in which is kind of again doubling down on what the army's good at and what you're good at mm-hmm yeah, absolutely. Trying to explain how this list works to somebody else and getting them to play it effectively, it, it'll take them, take them a while to get there, do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. A lot of little nuances to it. John, I don't know if you've got anything else you want to uh, ask in part one or if you're ready to uh, roll your sleeves up and get ready for part two. And I do have a ton of questions, but they're they're all getting saved for part two. I'm really looking forward to this one. Great cool. stuff. Well, listen... Uh, that's part one done, and I feel like we're just getting started. So if you got this far in and you don't go get part two, it's like you're a contestant on Squid Games and you just give up halfway through and someone else is going to get the money. If you haven't already, head over to theartofwar40k.com and sign up so you can get the second half of every chat and all of the other great content as well. In the second part of this conversation, John and Mike will cover the tactics and plans against other armies and other archetypes. So if you want to know how to play Harlequins or... You want to know how to beat Harlequins, just tune into part two. It's so much easier than just trying to work it out in your head. Mike, for the folks who haven't subscribed, is there anything you want to add on at the end? Any final thoughts anywhere we need to go to find you? Anything you want to plug? Um, so I'm affiliated with Last Summer Gaming. Um, they've been really kind to sponsor me with a few um, a few bits of merchandise and um, a, a report on my, my battles on their Glass Summer Gaming site. So um if anybody wants to, to chat to me, I mean, I'm always always happy to answer questions on, on Facebook Messenger, but um, I do quite a bit of work on their website as well. So head over to theirs. Great stuff. Listen, um, I'm a big fan of Glasshammer Gaming and a fan of Manny's and David's and uh, the rest of the team as well. So, uh, John, you get ready, get the headband on, get set, if, uh, get set for part two. If you're a subscriber, we'll see you real soon. If not, for John Lennon. And Goonhammer Open champ Mike Porter, I'm Steve Joel. Thanks so much for listening. This is The Art of War. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. TheArtOfWar40K.com